Back by popular demand, Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter, the Dubcast, brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at Eleven Warriors. I got to get to our uh, the Czar. Can we call Jay the Czar? Yeah, I think so. I think I that's think appropriate. Eleven Warriors Czar, Jace. I mean, at some point, Jay, you might want to throw me some goods, some swag. Throw the kids some swag. Maybe a Sherman out, undefeated at a conference T-shirt. I don't know. Yeah, he's like he I said, just he's wants, I like <laughs> Johnny. I love it. Your answer just yeah, probably. <laughs> Probably needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, do it. Do Come it, on. Come on, Czar. Get it done, eleven dub czar. <laughs> Buddy, we are uh we're we're into camp. It's football is everywhere. Um I want to get into some specifics with Ohio State and some of the big picture things as we go about this season. But the first thing uh before I even get to that is the first NFL preseason games are in the books. And what jumped out to me was the amount of talent that we sent to the NFL. And I did something on my radio show last spring where I said the Cleveland Browns would be smart to just take the best available Buckeye with every pick in every round. And I believe that even more now than ever. Um, I just think that that that, that draft of Buckeyes – and it's, I'm not one of these guys who's silly and says you should just draft Buckeyes every year. That would be ridiculous. But I think that was a Pantheon class. And I think what you're seeing out of everybody from Tyvis Powell and Jalen Marshall who are undrafted to Braxton Miller to what you, what you know you're going to see out of Ezekiel Elliott if the Chargers ever get their heads out of their asses and allow Joey Bosa to play, what you'll see out of him. Darren Lee flashed. I mean – Cardhill Jones, this looks like it looks like one of the all-time draft classes. I know it's early. I don't want to get too crazy, but it really looks like that way to me. Well, I mean, if you look at Ohio State's history, there isn't a great long tradition of Ohio State draft classes, right? I mean, you've definitely had some years where some guys have emerged and been really good, but nothing where, you know, three, four, five guys have the chance to make an impact all at once. So, Especially, I mean, you brought up Cardell Jones. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I didn't, we didn't mention him, but I love that the Bills seem so excited about that dude. And he's not going to be a starter. I mean, they, they've got a pretty well-entrenched you know, quarterback of their own, but I, I'm i excited to see him succeed in the NFL, maybe more than any of the other dudes. But him, Tyvis, you know, Jalen Marshall, who I personally did not think should have gone to the NFL, but right. clearly has earned his spot. On the new uh, the 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 Jets roster there, so yeah, I I'm excited for it, and I I think the preseason drags on a little too long. I start to yeah. get nervous towards the end of it, but I'm excited <laughs> to see them make an impact in the regular season. You know, I continue to reside in the in uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, and I watched Cody Kessler play for the Browns last week, and I've seen him in practice up here, and he's he's got a noodle for an arm. I mean, he just can't drive the football, and he's like he's short. He wasn't special at USC. He's not going to be special in the pros, and they drafted him in the third round. And here's Cardell, this Cleveland guy who is what he is, and we've seen it, and that's not homerism. I mean, if the kid would have left after uh, after he won the national championship to help Ohio State win the national championship, I think it would have been a first-round pick or at least an early second-round pick. Um, everybody saw what his potential is, and for them to pass on him for Kessler defies logic. But as we bring up Cardale Jones, and I'm glad you said that, I root for that kid too. Um, one of the big themes this year is that, you know, like him and Tyvis aren't there, and specifically in relationship to JT Barrett, who was so entrenched with Cardale, such close buddies, and uh, were like these this odd couple last year. And I'm sure their relationship had awkward moments last year. But, but we are blessed that we have JT Barrett back. And we have JT Barrett back in an offense that I think will be custom fitted to match his skill set flawlessly. And it got me thinking a little bit, buddy, about where we are at the quarterback position at Ohio State. And I thought about having, since Urban got here, and obviously Tressel can, you know, 
recruited Braxton. But we've had Braxton Miller, and then out of that we've had JT and Cardell, and now we have JT. And we all have this incredible confidence in him, and I think we should. It's He was fifth in the Heisman um, when he got thrust into action, and I think we all kind of believe he'll get back into that. But it goes beyond that. Um, when you talk about Joe Burrow behind him and then behind him, Dwayne Haskins, Collier's on the roster as well, and then it gets really crazy in the recruiting classes in 17 and 18. And I'm just – I was wondering if we've ever been this blessed – at, a, at the quarterback position at Ohio State. Maybe singularly we've had one great player, but in terms of it backed up year after year, I don't know if we've ever seen the likes of this. Well, and I think in the past, I mean, with Jim Tressel, you never really relied on a marquee quarterback. I mean, they, he had them, obviously, right? You know, you've got Troy Smith, who I think most people would say is one of, if not the best quarterback in Ohio State history, but that almost was a, an accident you know, in terms of development. I mean, he, he was out, out there as a running back in the early part of his career. Right. I don't I don't think Jim Tressel ever really put a huge emphasis on a guy who was just going to be, like, the guy. I don't think that was his, his goal uh, in terms of quarterbacking. Now, maybe at other positions he needed that. But, you know, that was never a huge priority, I think, in terms of recruiting. You've got a guy, though, like Urban Meyer, who – through force of personality has just built this stable of quarterbacks and, and everybody wants to play in this system and accumulate stats. And, you know, that seg that we just had between the NFL and, and the Ohio state Buckeyes this year, I think is a great one because a lot of people who are coming in, a lot of those young quarterbacks are seeing like, Oh crap. If Cardell Jones is really successful, if Braxton Miller even can make that transition as an athlete, right? Like even if I'm not a quarterback yeah. in the NFL, I'm still going to get that kind of training here at Ohio state those really great quarterbacks are going to start to look at Ohio State as a destination school, and that is extremely important for the future. And you can see it already in the recruiting. Yeah, I don't think that the Ohio State program has ever been in better shape than it is currently under Urban in the history of the program. And I know what that means. You know, I you understand what that means. But in terms of the competitiveness that the, that we're in, the climate, and to be walking hand in hand with Nick Saban and Alabama as the two best programs in the country, kind of everybody acknowledges that. And I think dovetailing off of that, you brought up the NFL, and that's really Urban has made it job one to sell these guys on, if you come to Ohio State, we are an NFL factory. And the one thing that Ohio State hasn't done in its history is develop quarterbacks for the NFL. Schleister was drafted very high. Uh, Rex Kern, I believe, was drafted pretty high as well, never turned into much. Really, our best pro quarterback is Mike Tomczak, haven't really had a lot. From a recruiting standpoint, probably the closest to this in my lifetime was when Krenzel was here and Troy and Zwick came in. Zwicky was a huge quarterback recruit, obviously. Um, but Troy came in as an athlete, and they kind of battled it out. That was a pretty loaded quarterback room. But not to the not to the level that it will be at if JT Barrett comes back for his senior year. If, if you think about this for a second, a year from now, we're sitting here talking, and you've got JT Barrett, Joe, Joe Football, you got Stephen Collier. Then after that, you got Haskins and then Martell and Clark behind him with five-star Emory Jones, who looks like he may might be the most physically gifted of all of them, waiting in the wings in 2018. We've never had anything like that. And this speaks to Urban Meyer's prowess as a recruiter because Jim Tressel landed Terrell Pryor, who was, make no mistake, and we'll talk about him later in the show, was the LeBron James of high school football of his time, of his generation. That's what he was. I mean, we when he signed... We thought we were getting the LeBron James. And maybe we would have if it was a different offensive staff and a different offensive mindset. It never materialized, although he probably – and he still probably doesn't get the credit for for being as great as he was. But behind Terrell, 
Trask could not land a quarterback. And with Urban, he has recruited year after year. I mean, the 17 class to have Martell and Clark both committed. And it reminds me that Urban Meyer's a guy who had Tim Tebow on campus as a freshman, waiting in the wings for Chris Leak, and behind him landed Cam Newton and John Brantley. We all know who Cam Newton is. John Brantley was the Gatorade Player of the Year. He was the Gatorade National Player of the Year. He's from Ocala, Florida. He landed those two guys behind Tebow. That's who we're dealing with. Yeah, and that's and 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 that says a lot about the coach and, and the way that he recruits and his approach and things like that. The one caveat that I would give, though, I mean, does it give you any pause about the way the quarterback situation worked out last year? I mean, you have that many quarterbacks in the room, that much talent, that much ego. Does that worry you at all that you've got so many cooks and they're going to spoil the broth? The only reason it worries me is if what happened last year happened sometime in the future. And that is, I think, Urban and his staff last year were far too worried about satisfying everybody. And I think they coached last year, I've said this many times, with tremendous burden to get everybody involved. And um, I think they tried to make it work with Cardell kind of half-assed <laughs> a little bit. And um, I don't think they ever played an offense that fit his skill set. I mean, he was yeah. fish out of water from Jump Street with the way they were calling plays. Um, and then they had tremendous obligation to get Braxton Miller involved. The way that this lines up, really the only time where it could get a little dicey is with Martell and Clark. And that just is kind of lining up to be a street fight. Like one of those guys is going to play, the other one isn't. Um, but it's kind of lined up for, you know, JT. If JT sticks around for his senior year, and I kind of think he will, if he sticks around for his senior season, and after him it's going to be a battle between probably Haskins and Burrow, and then after that Martell and Clark are going to be battling. And then one of – but if if Martell and Clark don't seize the job by the time they're sophomores, I could see Emory Jones coming in and being a three-year starter or something like that. Like, yeah, that that's how – I mean, this is going to be a street fight for playing time. You can only play one at quarterback. Any notion that you can play more than that is a falsehood. No one's done it with any success in terms of the level that we're expecting at Ohio State. I mean, you've had minimal successes around the play. Spurrier was the best at it when he was shuffling the bachelor Jesse Palmer in and out with, I think, a kid <laughs> named Terry Dean, and they were playing every other play. It was ridiculous. But, I mean, no one really has that much success doing it. One guy's going to play – and it's just, I mean, you look at the talent that will be in that room next year and then the following year, man, it's just incredible. And it speaks to what he's doing. And to me, Johnny, the thing that jumps out is the point I was making about uh, getting Cam Newton and Brantley after Tebow because that's who this guy is. What he does with these guys when he recruits them is he speaks to their ego. And he says flat out, you're not scared of competition, are you? I mean, in all honesty – Danny Clark or Tate Martell probably shouldn't come next year. Right. Because there's not going to be enough reps. They're not going to get developed right. And I'm people won't be happy that I say this on a podcast or say it no, publicly. But, but, but the truth is, right. if I was one of their fathers, I would say, don't go there. You need to figure – like, it would suck for Danny because he'd have to get a tattoo removed. But, like, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense for, for both of those guys to be here next year. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's the thing, though, because I think when you speak to a kid's ego, that's no kid is going to say if they're going to want to play major college ball, if they're a serious recruit for Ohio State, no kid that they're going to look at is going to go, no, I don't I don't think I really want to compete against the guy. I just want to be given a job. No kid's going to say that to Urban Meyer in Ohio State. And I think you're right. <laughs> like, I 100% agree that one of those guys probably should be looking elsewhere for their, you yeah. know, for their own prospects. But that's not going to happen, and it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out in terms of competition. Look, 
some of those guys are going to end up transferring. I mean, yeah. that, that's probably the long and short of it. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if there's a point where you're like, you know what? I'm not going to get playing time. I believe that I can actually have a career in this. I need to be more of a featured guy. Then there's nothing wrong with transferring. Mm -hmm. But no kid's going to pass up that opportunity with Ohio State and Meyer. And I think that's the overall point that we're kind of making here is that whatever the situation is, it doesn't matter how much playing time doesn't matter really who's in front of you. If kids are being told by urban Meyer, I want to give you a chance to play quarterback at Ohio state. They are coming to Ohio state. That is a sea change and how quarterbacks yeah. have been recruited at this college for a very long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, trust landed some, you know, some individuals, but never in like waves like this, like these right. just keep coming in waves and they come from all over. I mean, Haskins, Maryland, Martell, Texas, Jones is Georgia. I mean, these JT's a Texas kid. I mean, they're just coming from all over the country. He's basically what he's getting is he's getting the pick of the litter of the dual threat guys. It's like yep. him and Clemson. Those are the, they're getting the guys. Those two schools are getting the two best, best, they're getting the best dual threat quarterbacks in every class, and um, I'll tell you, I'm excited because we're we are locked and loaded with great football for so long right now. And I just my my advice to Buckeye fans is, my God, enjoy the hell out of this because <laughs> this does, this type of thing doesn't last forever, and no. and you just have to be aware of when you're in the middle of something great. Don't let it pass you by. And I, I think most of us are smart enough and either observing or or big time fans for long enough um, that we probably are. Well. And the nice thing is, is that, you know, let's say Urban Meyer doesn't coach for, you know, too much longer. Let's say he only sticks around for four or five more years, max, maybe even two or three. He's setting up the program pretty darn well for the future. And that's that's what I'm really happy about. This is not a guy who's coasting into the finish line. Can you imagine um, when touchdown Tommy Herman comes swinging up here in a couple of years oh to take over? God, we won't miss a beat. I hope so. I, I have a feeling it won't happen, but I hope so. I, I agree. I think he's going to be employed elsewhere. <laughs> I think he'll either be in Austin or State College by next year at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. That dude, yeah. <laughs> His trajectory is strat. I mean, it's it's in the stratosphere. It's crazy. Yeah. Cover of Sports Illustrated. Not bad. Second year in, in <laughs> yeah. second year on the job. Right. right. Uh, all right. You want to bring on Tim? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, this is a real treat. Um, I was so happy to see this guy hook up with 11 Warriors, and I'm even happier now to do a podcast with him. He's one of the bright young talents on the beat, our good buddy Tim Shoemaker joining us. Uh, Tim, you wrote a great piece today on 11 Warriors that uh, that I has been at the front of my mind, and I'm going to just throw the wheelhouse to you, buddy, because uh, to me, Urban Meyer, did. am I overstating? Did he step to the 2014 comparison and kind of be like, yeah, I'm cool with that? You're not, you're not really overstating that, Bo. Um, great, great to great to have you back here at Eleven Warriors and talking football. By the way, but um, you know, you're not overstating. Um, Urban hasn't really, to my recollection, he he hasn't really been asked a ton about that. He's kind of, you know, openly making these comparisons on his own, um, and kind of almost going out of his way to to mention, you know, some of the similarities between uh, Ohio State in August of 2014 and in August of of 2016 now. Uh, just with all the roster turnover that uh, Ohio State had to deal with following that 2013 season, where they lost, uh, I think, a lot more talent than people actually realize. With you know those uh, three offensive linemen and Ryan Shazier, Bradley Roby, those kind of players, like they lost a lot of talent from that team, and there were a lot of question marks going into 2014. And uh, you know, just like uh, there are now uh, after the massive talent loss from from 2015, um, and of course the the danger. In making those comparisons, is is everybody knows how the 2014 season ended, and uh, you know you can make them now, make the comparisons now, but in the back of your mind, you know you know how 2014 ended, you know. 
you, we just so rarely see somebody so look like he doesn't have false confidence, right? Like Urban only knows bravado. There's no false bravado with him. So when he says this stuff out loud, Tim, you've been around him, Johnny. I've covered him for years. Like everything right. he says is calculated. He knows what he's saying. He knows exactly how it's going to be construed and how it's going to be taken. And so what it says to me is for him to acknowledge this, and Tim, you bring up the point about he's kind of goes out of his way to bring up these comparisons. It tells me that he knows he's holding pocket aces, that that he knows he's got a loaded team that's motivated, that's had to sit and watch and drool as other people have gotten to play. And now they get their opportunity. And uh, boy, if you're a if you cover the program or you're a fan or you just like watching great football, I would walk around chest puffed out a little bit because I think it means we're in for a hell of a season. You know, Bo, I, I feel I feel like he knows something, and uh, yep. he has this 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 way of projecting himself sometimes in certain situations. And, and you know this from from covering him since since he came to Ohio State. Um, you know, Urban has a sense of maybe leading on that he knows something that maybe a lot of people don't. And I think I, I get the sense <laughs> that maybe he does with this team. He feels like he has a really, really good young team and which he does. I mean, there's, there's plenty of talent. I don't think anybody's questioning Ohio state's talent level. Um, but you're right. You know, when he goes and says like, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he knows what he's doing when he compares the 2016 team to the 2014 team. Tim, do you think that the, uh, the players know that? I mean, is that, I guess what I'm asking is, is this a motivational thing or is he just, being really matter of fact and you know just stating it to throw it out there. Oh, I I think they they probably have an idea of it. Um, I mean they they were all for the most part of them. Most of those guys they were at least you know in the program in 2014. Uh, a lot of them were anyway. Um, most of them didn't play, but but they were here. They they know what happened. Um, so and and I think you know to to Bo's point, um, a lot of those guys saw that, and a lot of those guys were being recruited at the time that Ohio State won that national title. They saw that. So they all they all have kind of just been foaming at the mouth here waiting for their chances. I think Urban uh, used it best when, when he described the, this recent class that left. He called it a, a monster. You know, they saw a monster in front of them, and, and now that monster is gone, and, and it's their job to kind of rebuild it and reload it. You know, the other thing about that that's interesting is those kids, and if you just look at the 2D uh, and if you pay attention to recruiting at all, uh, those are all familiar names. Those are four and five star in many case players that have had to sit and wait. Uh, you know, I look at the linebackers specifically, and when those kids are recruited, that are the ones who are going to play this year. Um, you know, they they probably didn't think that they'd have to sit behind a three star former quarterback like Darren Lee. They probably didn't think that they'd have to sit behind a three-star like Joshua Perry. They thought they were going to come in and play. And I look at the guys behind them, you know, Baker and Hilliard, who were – I mean, Chick, Chick Harley's jersey – Hilliard's wearing Chick Harley's jersey. He's not going to start. You know what I mean? Like, he probably thinking he's going to play. So when you speak to that, Tim, about the monsters in front of them, I think what Urban has done is, in waves, recruited talent behind talent behind talent at an elite level. And what it does is it sets him up for – you know, you say, you know, I use pocket ace. You said like he knows something. I think it's pretty obvious that he does. What he knows is he has ultra-talented, ultra-motivated guys who can't wait to play. And when you have that, you got a chance to be special. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, just just from the recruiting rankings, which, I mean, are subjective and all that, but, you, you know, usually these guys are pretty right when, you, when you're talking about these elite talents that Ohio State's brought in. A guy like Dante Booker, who was a top 50 prospect nationally, and an, an Army All-American and was Mr. Football in the state of Ohio as a defensive player. And I think he was the first one to do that 
uh, since Andy Katzenmoyer, and he came here and sat for two years behind Joshua right. Perry and, you know, Marshawn Lattimore, another guy in that uh, 2014 class who's who's been banged up, granted, but, I mean, he was a top 60, 50 or 60 nationally coveted prospect with, with offers from everywhere. Uh, these were elite-level high school players that have just been kind of waiting in the wings <laughs> behind elite college players. So, you know, they've just been kind of – you know, backing up these these elite talents, but they're elite talents themselves, and I think that, you know, they're 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 kind of just waiting to be unleashed here, so to speak. And the experience factor, you certainly can't downgrade it. I think that that's something that uh, certainly needs to be taken into consideration strongly, in my opinion. But I mean, by week four or five, you know, that that kind of gets you're not you're not playing your you know first games of college football anymore you've got you've got game reps under your belt and uh, it's going to be one of those teams I think that certainly uh, maybe has some bumps early in the season in the first month of the season and everybody freaks out and then you know you look up and they're at Penn State and they look like a, a real contender in the Big Ten and then obviously finishing the year with with Michigan State and Michigan they, they should be in peak form by then. You know, I got to jump in real quick because there's an opportunity for a Game of Thrones reference. It's is it possible that they're like Ramsey's dogs? Like basically, they haven't been fed. We got to get on the czar to make a T-shirt like Ramsey's dogs with Buckeye helmets at linebackers. Like we got to figure something like that out because that's basically what you described, and that's I think that's where we're headed. Which I'm sorry, I don't want to be House Bolton. Well, <laughs> I'm cool with being House Stark. Well, no, but like, I, I know, but like the, this whole idea of like starving animals that are dying to play, you know, and Ramsey's yeah. dog. Look at like the end result on Ramsey's dogs was okay, okay. right? Like it ends up being okay. Uh, you okay. know, as Sansa, like Ramsey, you know, they would never. And then Sansa said, well, you said it yourself. You haven't fed them. So <laughs> that's kind of what we're dealing with. We haven't fed these guys. It's time to eat. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I had to get that in there when opportunity <laughs> strikes. Tim, Tim, what? Um, Media Day was over the weekend. Um, other than Urban's comments, what else jumped out at you that uh, seemed um, maybe different or maybe something that, that we didn't know for those of us who weren't there that kind of jumped out? Uh, for me, uh, in my position, I mean, because a, a lot of these guys we've never gotten to talk to before. So it's like interesting. Like I was looking around and there's no Tyvis Powell and there's no Von Bell and no Darren Lee, you know, your go-to guys for these quotes that you went to for all these years to talk to. And I'm like, I need to go talk to Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker and some of these guys who we've rarely spoken to and try to figure out, you know, what what they're all about, their personalities, things like that. Um, you know, JT Barrett's obviously a familiar face there, and he's kind of just cerebral now in the way he answers every every question and and all this stuff. And Pat Elfline's the same way. Uh, you know, he's been around for a long time, and I, I just think that you kind of get that sense of of eagerness that they, that they these young guys want to play. You know, the eagerness we were talking about earlier. You get the sense from guys like Paris Campbell and and uh, you know Terry McLaurin and and all these guys who really haven't played much that that they want to go out there and they and they want to play football and they want to play. You know, they want to help on on offense and defense and not just on special teams on kickoff. You know. They want to play. Uh, they want to play meaningful snaps for Ohio State, and and I think that you know just that overall sense that they're, that they're ready to go and and get this camp over with and, and get out there on September third. I think that was pretty pretty evident. I mean, you mentioned Tyvis Powell, and that's one of the greatest losses to the Ohio State beat, right? I mean, <laughs> so yeah. who's 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 going to replace him? Who's going to be the guy to give you the quote? That's 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 the big mystery right now, man. Like we don't we don't. We don't know. Like there, we, there were so many guys who were awesome you know, with the last few years. And Bo, you know this as well. Yeah. Like, 
you know, Darren was a was great to talk to, and and Tyvis was always just cracking jokes and having fun. And anytime Josh Perry, anytime you needed something, you could go to Josh Perry or Taylor Decker, oh. and they would be like, "Yeah, here you go, man." <laughs> like, Lord, I used to call Joshua Perry the senator. Like that yeah. dude was off the charts. Win or loss was just remarkable. Well, yeah, and and I always I said this too. It felt like the more I got to know Joshua, it was like by the end of his career at Ohio State, I felt like at some point in my life I would end up working for him. <laughs> It does. It did feel that way. Like he's yeah, going to be so, governor of Ohio. Yeah. Like that's the way I felt like this guy is going to run some million multi-million dollar company and I'm just going to be like the secretary <laughs> on the way for Joshua Perry someday. But like, yeah, yeah we, we, you don't know much of these. I mean, you know, JT, you know, Pat Elfline, you know, Raekwon McMillan. Um, but, but even guys like, you know, you know Sam Hubbard and Taekwon Lewis. You don't really know too much about. I mean, I, I know about Taekwon because I wrote a, a huge story on him last year. But like other people, haven't really heard much from him. Um, and and it's just kind of uh, you know developing these these new personalities. It, it's a whole wave of of just new guys, and, and it's kind of exciting from from my perspective uh, in that sense. I guess one of the things we were talking about a little bit, and, and this goes maybe to the personality thing. We were talking about this before you came on, but there's a lot of dudes. For example, in the the quarterback room, and there's going to be even more. How do these coaches manage all these personalities? How how do the coaches make sure that everybody stays happy, that everybody kind of stays copacetic and, and you know, creates harmony in the locker room, whereas you have this similar competitive atmosphere maybe in another, you know, school, and it kind of just falls apart because they can't manage it. Well, yeah, that's why they get paid a lot of money, uh, these assistant coaches. They, uh, they're, they're, and, and I think what Urban has kind of done is, is he's, you know, preached that whole power of the unit thing, and, and he breaks it down into so that, you know, no assistant coach is, is is too overwhelmed with too many guys. Now there are, you know, the offensive line room has near 20, 20 guys in it compared to, you know, the tight end room where there's five or six. But, but you know, you, you have to be able as an assistant coach to, to balance, uh, you know, multiple personalities and, and all those kinds of things. And I think that uh, the staff Ohio State has in place uh, has done a pretty good job of that, and you know it, it's all about finding a way to to relate to your players and and kind of figure out you know where they come from and and what they like, what works for them uh, on the field, off the field, those kind of things, and and that all starts you know back when when they're being recruited, uh, you find out about these kids, their families, things like that, so that you have a head start when they actually get into the program, and then you kind of just go from there and and. Uh, once you actually are, are able to coach them and guide them, uh, I think you learn what works and what doesn't. And, and I think that, um, you know, when you win a lot of games, too, that helps because people people see, you know, 50 wins over four years and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, I, I think I should do what it takes to get on the field here. So winning solves a lot of problems, but a, a lot of credit does go to the assistant coaches, too, for how they handle those kind of things. Tim, last one for you. We'll get you out of here on this one. Um, it Coming into camp, I had anticipated that there would be these monumental position battles, uh, you know, before Briante was sent packing, although I kind of thought Webb would get it anyway. But you thought maybe at running back there would be that. You thought it would be kind of a street fight at receiver. You thought corner, maybe even at linebacker safety, uh, even on the offensive line. But as I'm reading, and it seems like a lot of these are kind of slotting, and we kind of know who's going to be the starters and where it's going to work early? Are am I oversimplifying it? Or are there more positions still up for battle? Or or has that kind of been uh, simplified over the first couple of weeks here more than maybe I certainly anticipated they would be? 
No, Bo, I feel the exact same way. Um, I, I This camp is certainly um, interesting in a sense that there's all this turnover, all that stuff. But to me, um, most of these positions have heavy uh, – I don't want to say heavy, but they're favorites or front runners to land these jobs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Urban hasn't named – necessarily named starters yet, but – you know, the guys who were starting in spring are still running first team now. There hasn't been much change, if any. Um, you know, on defense, it's it's been the same starting defensive line since since March. It's been the same starting linebackers since March. Uh, you know, Damon Webb and Malik Hooker have been at safety. Gary Conley is obviously starting at corner. The other corner spot is really the only thing to me that that's still open defensively. Uh, now things can change here with, with, you know, two weeks still left in camp, but there's heavy favorites on the defensive side of the ball at almost every spot. And same thing offensively, you know. We were saying at the beginning of camp, like, you know, maybe the the true freshman Michael Jordan at left guard was kind of just a motivational tactic in the spring to get these other guys who were older, uh, you know, some more motivation uh, going into fall camp. But then you go out there and, and he's still the first team left guard almost two weeks into camp and it doesn't seem like you know, uh, barring some drastic change, he, he's going to be the that starting guard on, on September third. And uh, you know, Mike Weber's obviously the guy at running back now, like you mentioned with Bryante's, um dismissal. And you know, and to me, receiver who starts at receiver isn't really a a big deal because Ohio State rotates the receivers and right. they they use five or six at a time. So who starts there doesn't really matter to me. So so yeah, I mean, I'm, I I'm. I don't want to say disappointed, but the 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 fall camp position battles haven't been as intriguing to me as maybe I thought they were, and that's because the guys who I thought were going to be the starters seem like they're going to be the starters, and I, yeah. I guess I want a little bit more drama, but you know maybe I'm just being picky. Well, overall, we just want results, so perhaps that's what matters most. Tim, good results out of you, buddy. We'll have you on a little bit later as the season goes along. Keep up the good work, bud. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You know, at the top of the show today, buddy, we talked about the Ohio State quarterback situation and, and really no recruit that Ohio State had during my time there was bigger than Terrell Pryor. I mean, he was the guy. He was yeah. the LeBron James of high school football. He was a guy who was identified as maybe a sophomore in high school as the number one player in his class, and he never relinquished it. He was the consensus number one player in every recruiting service from the time he was a sophomore. It felt like it anyway. I, may, I could be speaking <laughs> totally out of my ass, but I feel like he was. And that, that I mean, we went over to Jeanette PA, and he decided he wanted more time, and then we went over again, and he said, what was it, the University of Ohio State or whatever the heck he said. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then he comes on campus, and he start the whole thing, and then the end is the end, and it ends the way almost Shakespearean in the way that it ends um, with him and Tress and all of it. And I've always felt that um, there were many who deserved the blame in, in all of that and that most of it fell on Terrell Pryor's shoulders in terms of the fan base, that the fan base put it on Pryor. Pryor was enabled by many. Um, we don't need to get into that. That's a show for the off season when we can talk about the, the rise and fall of Jim Tressel. Um, but, but in terms of the way that Pryor was treated at Ohio State to not be able to come back to campus for five years was ridiculous. Um, he yeah. made mistakes, but but the university and those closest to him enabled him in making the choices that he made. And so I've always felt sorry for him to a certain extent. And I've interviewed him a lot when he played at Ohio State, and I've talked to him since he's been with the Browns. And the growth in that and Terrell Pryor as a person from a 
uh, you heard what Alex Boone said about him. I think most people who played, many who played with him probably would say similarly that he was spoiled and entitled, certainly those older than him. To who he is now, um, a guy who's been through a lot, and I think the best example of it is the fact that he puts prior senior on his jersey, um, you know, with his son, and the type of example he's trying to let. But beyond that, beyond being a guy who's grown a lot, you know, from a maturity standpoint, he has become, in a year, a hell of a football player. He's the right. best play- He might be the best offensive player not named Joe Thomas on the Cleveland Browns, and I understand that's a valedictorian <laughs> to summer school situation. But but at the same time, like, he has flashed. I mean, I've been at practice. He's 6'5", 230, runs sub 4'4". Four, four. He beats everybody. Like, he looks like he's going to be a legitimate weapon for in the NFL for any team, let alone the right. Browns. Yeah, um, and and I- I'm happy for him. You know what, and here's the thing. I think a lot of times when we watch college football players in their time at Ohio State and they go to the NFL, it's almost like they're frozen in time. So anything that they did their senior year, their last year at Ohio State, that is how we will always remember them no matter what happens afterwards. And with Terrell Pryor, I mean, the end of that story at Ohio State is obviously not a happy one. And I think for a lot of people, especially given his reputation maybe being spoiled or taking advantage of the system and a lot of other things, you know, people still have that impression of him as both a human being and maybe a football player, right? Because, you know, I think a lot of people would say he never really truly lived up to his potential at Ohio state. And I agree with you. Some of the stuff that they're, you know, you're seeing in, in, you know, the early preseason games and just the way he's progressed in general, I think in his time in the NFL is pretty remarkable. And it, (laughs) it goes to show what a, I think athleticism, like innate, crazy, superhuman athleticism is capable of doing and b what some really good coaching is capable of doing as well. Because again, this is not a guy who has had a whole lot of wide receiver experience, you know, what Beckman throwing you a fade pass or something and in a bowl game against Texas is not really, you know, experience at wide receiver. The only reason that was done is so Trestle didn't have to make him available to the media. (laughs) <laughs> That's the only reason that that was done. That's the reason that Todd Beckman started that game is because Trestle didn't want Pryor to have to talk to the media at the at the bowl, and the Fiesta yeah. Bowl was pissed about it. But Pr- Pryor didn't talk. Every starter has to talk at a BCS game, and Trestle kept Pryor from the media, so he started Beckman at quarterback and made Pryor <laughs> run around at receiver for a play or whatever the hell. He I did. believe it. That's I true story. It. That's a true story. Ask anybody on the beat. That's how that went down. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, and again, like, those kind of stories, those kind of things are what cement in people's minds when someone leaves Ohio State or leaves any college program, really. And now that you've got Terrell Pryor having the success in the NFL, like, I want him to do really, really well. But I'm sure there are a lot of Ohio State fans who are yeah. like, yeah, screw that guy. I hope he sucks. I'm like, no way, man. Like, I want this dude, if he has truly made a transformation in his life and he's he's got his head on straight, I want him to do all the success in the world. I want him to do amazingly well. How could anybody I – would, I would ask anybody listening to go back to when you were 18 and imagine being told <laughs> right. from the time you were 15 that you were the LeBron James of football. Oh, man. Okay, imagine being told that. Then imagine going to Ohio State and usurping a first-team All-Big Ten quarterback by what, week two? Yeah. Week three? And it was early. Uh, I mean, it was after the USC game. They benched Beckman. Um, so you usurp him – now, all of a sudden, you're the starting quarterback on a team that has James Laurinaitis and Malcolm Jenkins who came back for their senior years and didn't have to. Now, you're the quarterback on that team. Your jersey, do you remember this? His jersey was sold, I remember this vividly, at Buckeye Corner before he ever got on campus. And this was on a team 
that had played in the national championship game that still had Beanie Wells. Right. And yeah, no, and, and, and being again, sold. Like, yeah, you're 100 percent right about that. I cannot imagine, you know, I I'm not a person who takes compliments well, right? Like if someone tells me they did a good job on something, I'm like, nah, not really. Or <laughs> but but you hear that enough. Like, it's going to go to anybody's head, and you're absolutely right about that. I mean, Terrell Pryor was the end-all, be-all of college recruits when he came out, and, you know, the way the recruit period, his, his recruitment was extended past, you know, mm-hmm. signing day and all that stuff. I mean, it just built and built and built and built, and I, I really can't compare it to anything since I've been paying attention to Ohio State uh, other than, like, maybe even Beanie Wells, and Beanie Wells even didn't have that kind of drama, didn't have that kind of hype, that national hype that came no. with Terrell Pryor. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's a crazy journey that dude has had in college football. I mean, really crazy. And especially just given, in my opinion, and and to me, this is the real story, the the lack of coaching overall that I think he really needed. Maybe I'm not saying he didn't get coaching at Ohio State. I don't think he got the coaching that Terrell Pryor, the person, needed. And I think you're seeing more of that maybe in the NFL. And he's, 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 you know, blossoming. He's doing really well. One thing to dovetail off of that, he probably would have been better off playing for some, obviously, somebody like Urban, who had an offensive system. I mean, Ohio State yeah. at that time, if you, you guys go back to it, there, there really wasn't a system. I mean, they were an I-formation team on first down, and then second down, they were a four-wide team. They ran some read option, but I mean, they really didn't have a system. Like, I don't know what in the heck you would describe what they did. Uh, you know, I think Terrell would have been much better in a system, obviously. The last thing I'll say on Pryor um, is this. This is the most remarkable part to me. He has only ever played quarterback. What I mean by that is Anquan Bolden was Mr. Florida uh, as a quarterback out of Pahokee because they needed their best athlete to play quarterback, so he did. Right. Heinz Warren played quarterback at Georgia sometimes because they needed their best athlete to play quarterback, so he did, but then he switched over to receiver. Terrell Pryor has only ever been a quarterback. And in one, this speaks to his athleticism that you were talking about. To be able to switch positions and to be able to get physically ready to do, I mean, if you think about. In the NFL. In the NFL, doing it on the fly, in the league, knowing it's your last chance to make it in the league, to go from being a quarterback, just imagine the type of, the different level of shape you have to be in to now run 50 yards, jog back to the huddle, sprint 50 yards, jog back to the huddle. That's just practice. Like, yeah. it's a totally different level. To learn on the job in the NFL how to play receiver to me is stunning. If he can pull this off and he looks great so far, I hope he can keep it going. Um, but, boy, it's it's it would be re- I would be happy for him because he's been through a lot. I think he's paid a tremendous price. Um, and I think, frankly, Ohio State's better off that it all happened because you got Urban. So it's all good there for me. Go. All right, we got shout outs. Or no, we got no, we, you want to do a shout out later. We'll save that because you always okay. do your Olympic shout outs. You're so excited about. But let's do the, uh, you have, we have questions from our people. We do. Ask us anything, which you guys can ask us anything by sending us an email, which seems to be the most common way of doing it, to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. Alvin, Alvin's back. Uh, Alvin, loyal listener, Alvin Limp, uh, Asian chipmunk. Uh, is his handle. Uh, he's been busy traveling, but he wants to get back to the Ask Us Anything grind. And he's got two yep. questions uh, about the Olympics, actually, which we'll get into briefly in a second. But first question, what is your favorite Olympic moment of all time, Bo? 
favorite Olympic moment of all time. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's a lot. There's God, a lot. That's crazy to try and there's so many things that have happened. Um, you know, what jumped into my head, my, the, my favorite event in all of the Olympics is the 100 meter dash. It's just, there's something yeah. about it. That's so it's cool. Nuts. It's, and they come out like yeah. you know, wrestlers and yeah. stuff. It's, it's that's great. very cool. But the thing that jumped into my head immediately, and I don't know if it is, but the thing that jumped into my head immediately is, and I don't know how many people remember this. It dates me a little bit, but Dan Jansen was an Olympic speed skater who oh, yeah. fell over and over. He was like the best in the world, and he fell over and over and over, and then he finally won gold. And I want to say it was his – boy, this is 20 years ago, but I want to say it was like his third Olympics. He finally won gold. That's what jumps out to me is my favorite moment was like, I remember as a kid wanting him so badly to get over that. He seemed like such a nice guy, and he was always the best, but he couldn't come through. So uh, that's the one that jumped into my mind. But there are so many. I mean, you could name a hundred. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, like I said, there's, you know, there's so many iconic moments. There's so many great things. I'm actually going to go with the one that kind of really got me interested. Not just, I mean, I played sports and stuff, but I, I don't think I was ever a follower of sports really until I was a teenager. And one of the things that I think really got me into it was the story. It's it's really obscure, but there was a Japanese, um, he was a ski jumper, a guy named uh, Masahiko Harada. Wow. And he had, like, completely screwed up uh, the team jump in the Olympics before. This is in, this is the first, the one that I'm talking about is in 1998. But okay. the one before that, he basically cost his team the medal. Uh, the gold medal, and he got his chance at redemption in 1998, and they did this whole big thing about it before his jump, and the, <laughs> there was so much drama because he had to nail uh, his final jump, and you could just see this guy, the joy on his face after he got it and won the gold medal for his team. Like, he had, re like, I could physically feel the four <laughs> years of torture he had put himself through, and he had such a positive attitude about it, and his nickname's Happy, so they call him Happy Harada, and I've never forgotten that story. That is my all-time favorite Olympic moment, just because it's to me is the epitome about what the Olympics are about, and and just that four-year wait to try to redeem yourself and then finally do it. I just thought that was you know it's funny knowing what I know now about TV. Both the Dan Jansen one that I remember vividly and the one that you just told that you remember vividly were both probably on tape delay. So oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was so young I didn't realize that it wasn't live. Yeah, but either absolutely. of those events were probably shown live because they were probably yeah. across the pond or somewhere, and so they had a chance to pre-produce a story to set it up to win the exactly. gold, so the redemption all played out. Um, right. That's something that I learned in TV, but when I was when you're a kid, you don't think of things like this. What's next? Yeah, that was in Nagano, so I'm Okay, I'm for sure then, right? 13 hours to <laughs> <It's a lock. laughs> find the tape. Uh, second question about the Olympics Alvin's got for us. If you aren't rooting for the USA, who, do you, who are you rooting for? What's your country rooting interest? Jamaica. I Jamaica, mean, man, good choice. Yeah, love Jamaica. I, I, you know, I, I like the Germans in soccer because I have some heritage there. But I love Jamaica and the Olympics. I love everything about them. They just drip with swag and everything. Um, I love how they've like owned the sprints. I love Usain Bolt. I love the two chicks that color their hair. Like I'm, I'm all for Jamaica. Plus, it seems like it'd be a fun place to. If I had to be an expat, that'd be a good place to be. Yeah, I, you know what? So in a similar vein, I'm a big fan of any of the Pacific Island countries, you know, Fiji, Tonga, you know, or, yeah. you know, New Zealand, even I've got some friends from New Zealand, some friends who are like Samoan and, and things like that. And just their culture is amazing. Like they're all great people and they're just out of this world, like crazy fun and everything that they bring to any sport that they're in is just amazing. So like when I think Fiji won the rugby uh, gold medal this year yep. and they're just they're just crazy dudes. And I always, always, always root for those guys to, to do well in their events because I think that's awesome. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, so we've got one more. Okay. I think we got one more question here, just real quick. This is uh, this is from John here, and he asked us a question a while back if a hot dog was a sandwich. Yeah. So he wants to know: uh, Is chili a soup? Yeah, I mean, I think it's got all the characteristics of soup. There's liquid. There's some solids. You eat it in a bowl. Okay. Um, I, I think really, what what does it take to make? Do you need a stock? I mean, I, when I make chili, I I have I some mean, we stock. Always from scratch, but yeah, I mean, I think you got to have something. I you know, yeah, I think it's a soup. Yeah, I'm for okay. it. Soup. I'm gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna disagree. I'm gonna I'm gonna based, hard based hard on what, fast. professor. <laughs> I'm going to say it's not a soup because I can't think of another soup that has that much meat in it. Now, maybe that's just the way I make chili, but to me, it's almost kind of like a paste is the what I make a it. Paste. I don't I don't make it so it's frothy. It's it's basically something that I'm going to be chewing. So it's like a, you make yours like a dip? Almost, yeah. That seems interesting. It's good. I mean, it, yeah. it, I mean you can't eat more than like a bowl of it because you'll die, but you know. Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's an interesting one. I guess it dep- maybe the consistency is the key. Yeah, that I might be so. it. I mean, if you go to like the skyline, like that's a soup, right? Yeah, but that's a that's a sauce. That's something that you spread on top. If anybody's eating skyline chili, like an actual like soup or a ch- like, you're not doing it right. That's not how you're supposed to do. That. I've only had it once, and I've I had it like six months ago for the first time after seeing it on like Reds games commercials for ten years. <laughs> so maybe I should eat this stuff. And I thought, yeah. eh, I don't know if I, I need to again. It. Once was enough. How did you eat it? I did it with the noodles and with the cheese. Okay. I did the three-way thing. All right. Yeah. So I, you did the right. You just just wasn't your deal. It just didn't take. All right. I mean that's fair. That's I mean you know I'm you know I'm a southwestern Ohio dude. So I think I that's it. It's 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 just something you grew up with. I fully acknowledge that it's weird as hell, but you know I enjoy it. Yeah. I think it's. Yeah, I mean, I had ran into the same thing with Swenson's. Everybody up here was telling me Swenson's is the best thing ever. It's as good oh, yeah. as, uh, you know, In and Out or Shake Shack or whatever. And I had it. And I th- okay, I-, I didn't think it was. It didn't set the world on fire. It's fine. Right. It's all right. You got a shout yeah. out for me, right? Yeah, real quick. So I want I I wanted to talk about this in a little more detail uh, earlier, but I just real quick. Kayla Harrison, Middletown, Ohio, two time Olympic gold medalist. I so she's about I think she's like five years younger than I am so we didn't attend the same schools at the same time but I think she did attend the same high school my sister did while she was there regardless probably the best thing to come out of Middletown last 25 years and maybe ever frankly like I don't care about Chris Carter Jerry Lucas at this point I care about gold medals yeah (laughs) and Kayla Harrison has two of them she's the only American uh, judo athlete to win a gold medal and she has two of them um, she has a really crazy story. She was a victim of sexual abuse from oh, her geez. first uh, judo uh, coach. Uh, she moved to Boston to kind of get away from that. She now talks. She's a huge advocate um, for you know sexual abuse survivors and, and to help get them you know, the support that they need. Um, she's just a fierce, awesome, cool person. She talks about her story to help other people. She's gone back to, you know, the same middle school that I attended to talk to the kids and inspire them. I'm just a huge, huge fan of hers. Um, I hope she keeps doing what she's doing. She said she's retired from judo as a sport, but I really hope she continues to, you know, help people out and be awesome. Cause yeah, I watched, I uh, intently every judo uh, match that she has done in the Olympics, you know, both this year and in 2012 and, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of hers, so I hope she keeps on keeping on because that's that's a great story and she's a, a great person. Wow, that's a that is an incredible story. One I was not aware of, but I'm glad you told it. Uh, what an inspiration! That's awesome, man. Yeah, Good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, and to be so open about something so difficult and uh, to really just you know 
use that to try to help other people is, I think, something more people should do. She's she's a legitimate awesome. badass too. That's pretty she cool. She is. She one hundred percent. Yeah, that's very good. All right, buddy. Uh, good fun. We'll be back here next week, same time, uh, same channel. We hope as long as the czar lets us do it. Um, and uh, it's been fun as always, pal. I'll talk to you next week. Yep. Talk to you next week.